So we pray. Father, we want to say that we love you. Father, our songs and our prayers and our thoughts have been an expression of that love. Thank you, Father, that that was the main reason we were created and formed, was to love you. It's the first and greatest commandment, that we should love you with every fibre of our being, that we should lift you high in the, in, the, in the right place in our life. So, Lord, may our attentiveness, and Father, may my through my own weakness, Father, would you speak. May your word come to us this morning and encourage us just where we are. We thank you for your immense love to us through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. God is good. Is this true? Yeah, that's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? God is good, because um, if you can be better than good, he is, he is it. There's not words, there's not adjectives enough. I know the Apostle Paul struggled with words, didn't he? He would use um, superlative on top of superlative to try somehow to express the knowledge and love of God in his life. And uh, it's lovely that when I'm invited to preach and there's not a subject, it's lovely when I'm invited to preach and there is a subject. I, I don't mind that. I don't mind being given a topic to preach, but there was no topic today. And so I, I revert to the thing that, that means the most to me. And that is how God is constantly at work in our lives. And I think that's been a, maybe a theme of some of our prayers this morning about how God works in change. How God works in the difficult circumstances of our lives. When it's tough. When those moments of, of great change, when we meet God in a special way, through hardship and pain and an agenda which we wouldn't have liked ourselves. We like there to be a, a happy story. We can be happy every day, but life isn't like that. Sometimes we're, we're bold, uh, a curveball, aren't we? That we didn't expect. Lovely Amy, I, I was talking with Amy at the door and Amy's Lovely new car. Have you named it, Amy? Has it got a name? Oh, yeah. And Amy's new car, which came out of a, an accident, a, something that Amy didn't want. But God has worked in a lovely way. Talking to Roland as well. Our God has worked in, in Roland's life in an amazing way through, through difficult circumstances. And so it's Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things not some things. We know, not we surmise, not that we have been told by other people, but through life experience, we know. We know because we know. When life seems to be totally broken, when we've lost that which we held dear to, when we're going through a path we never imagined we would, 
when our family of, of, of somehow it's, it's not going according to, to the script that we know that in all things Paul could write this from experience to the Roman church in Corinthians his list of hardships makes, the, makes me quiver how many beatings he'd had how many times he'd been left for dead how people had deserted him how he'd gone through the most difficult circumstances for his love of God. And some would say, God has deserted you. But Paul would say, I know that God works in every situation for the good of those who love them. He will work good out of difficult things. They've been called according to his purpose. So in, in brokenness, and this is, this is my story, I know it's Carol's story, I know it's many people's stories here. Through brokenness and the crises of our life, through a wilderness experience, God can do the greatest work imaginable. And we can meet in those times Christ in a special way. In sickness in bereavement, in a loss of, of something we hold dear to. It's the message that I always try and carry into prison when we go there. And sometimes we can just lose sight of God. You know what I mean? When it's all clouding in on us and we're being pushed and pressed but you lose sight of God. But this text tells me one thing. He never loses sight of me. Never. Ever. Ever. And so, we're not changed by suffering. Suffering does not work together for good. Suffering is painful. Suffering hurts. Suffering can take the wind out of ourselves. Suffering can cause us mental stress, emotional stress. But God works. Because of the pain, we can be drawn into a deeper relationship with God. Through my brokenness, God can come. And does. And is. Just where you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are being changed. We are being changed. No matter where you are in life, we are being changed. And do you know what that change is? It's so simple. And you can just ask yourself the question, which direction this change is going in. The change is, we are being changed to be more dependent upon God or less dependent on God. That's the change and that's the key question I must ask myself. Am I more dependent upon God now than I was in my life, are these circumstances causing me to throw myself upon him in total abandonment and say, I need you? 
Or is it somehow driving me away from God? That I'm less dependent upon him and become more dependent upon other things, even myself. See, during these tough times, faith and trust are put to test. And the amazing fact is there's nothing that God can't turn around. There's nothing that God can't turn around. Would you, would you say that? There is nothing that God cannot turn around. Absolutely nothing. I stand here and with every confidence in my life say there's nothing in your life that God can't turn around. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You might think it's too late, it's over, it's gone, it's done. It's just bad. I'm saying we, we worship a redeeming God who redeems both our lives and our circumstances and can work them to good for his glory and for our blessing. Hallelujah. He doesn't cause us to be nursing wounds, licking them, thinking the what-ifs of our past, but see the potential in God of what he wants to do in us, even though we might be broken. And I want to very quickly look at three men, Jacob, Joshua and Isaiah. And in, in each instance, they faced a huge crisis in their life. And God worked it together for good. Turn with me quickly to Genesis 32. I'm a bit old-fashioned. I sort of say, turn with me, because I, I have a, one of these. I know some people have electronic ones, which are great, but... Uh, um, it's, it's always good to carry, uh, and, and, you know, from the, the background, because I was obviously saved before we had electronic devices. Um, and uh, so I'm, I was used to, to carrying a Bible to, to church, and uh, uh, I haven't got out of that. And, uh, so excuse me. So, so Genesis 32, verse 22. Let me read. That night Joseph got up, took his two wives, or Jacob rather, and um, two maidservants and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jebok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said to him, let me go for his daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. 
The sun rose above him as he passed Pana, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Most of you know the story of, of Jacob. He knew God. He was born of a, a godly man. His grandfather was Abraham. His dad was Isaac. And he tricked both his brother and his father to get the father's blessing through pretense and deceit. He himself was tricked in life because he had upset um, Jacob. He left home and he meets Laban and uh, works there for a while and falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. And there's a trick that takes place and he ends up marrying her sister, Leah. And he'd lived apart from his father. He'd been a trickster, a deceiver, a ducker and diver. From thinking that you received the blessing of God, he lived in anguish and, and, and fear. Fearing what would happen when his brother Esau met up with him. And he lived apart from his father for 30 years. And in, when we read this story, he's preparing to meet his brother Esau. And again, he's ducking and diving, splitting his family in case half of them get wiped out. He's still going to have half himself. Not trusting in God. He's on his own now. His life is a bit of a mess. For what it could have been. Thirty years has been wasted. Though, in a sense, he'd been blessed and he'd got flocks and he'd, he'd, he'd got his wives. And here we read about him wrestling with this man, wrestling with God. And this encounter changed him. And God spared him. And he, he at this time, wanted the true blessing, not of an earthly father, but of a heavenly father. And he would not let go. And it was a place of, of cost, I suppose. He had to own up just to who he was and everything about his life. And he, he got hold of God. I don't know if you had those moments where you got hold of God. And he's got hold of you. And everything, that every, you know, he knows you through and through and you've just got to be honest with him and say, this is the way it is. I believe there was a huge amount of repentance that went on that night when he owned up to, to, to the foul play of his life. And he was left with a limp. There was a mark about it. He was, he was never the same. So when Esau would look up and see him the next day, he could see a broken man, a humble man, limping towards him. Not the arrogant, 
Jacob of the past. You can imagine his 12 sons saying, Hey, Dad, what's with this limp you got there? Huh? How did that happen? And he was obliged to tell them about his encounter with God and how his life had been changed. Perhaps just turn on with me just to, to Genesis 35. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Then uh, in verse 10, God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he changed his name, uh, so, so he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and, and kings will come from, from your body. Hallelujah. One being the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, in verse 21, Then Jacob came home to his father Isaac, who was dying in Mamre, near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people, old, full of years. And his sons... Esau and Jacob buried him. As a result of this encounter, he built an altar, he got rid of foreign gods, he pu they purified themselves, they changed their clothes, things were different now, he was given a new name, Israel struggled with God, and he returned to his father, and Isaac died, and Jacob and Esau together buried their father. From a mess came a man fashioned by God. From a mess, a man who would be named Israel, the father of a great people. God can do it. God can take your mess. And by having an encounter with him, he can change you so you could change a nation, a family, a community, a church that has this encounter with God. Everything may be looking bleak, no hope, no future, just feeling you can dwell on the past. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Verse 5. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day no one knows where his grave is, 
Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Can you imagine this? This man, this, I, I say it humbly, but it doesn't do him justice, this Churchillian character, Moses, was now dead. He had proved himself and he proved his God to the people, never got in the promised land, but the one who had held this nation together had died. And this huge time of mourning for 30 days had taken place. Now Joshua, now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So, in the first instance, God had laid his hands on him. In this case, the man of God had laid his hand upon a man, Joshua. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. This was the man who was no longer, the one who face to face alone of all mankind stood before a holy God and saw him face to face. Who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord had sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to his officials. These stories had passed down about the, the, the Passover and, and the great deliverance and the, the wonderful miracles from the hand of Moses. Moses was no longer. He was dead, dead, dead. He was in an unmarked grave. It had finished. And after the death of Moses in Joshua 1, the servant of the Lord said to Moses, the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give you, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is a word to many people here. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and be very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses has gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it on day day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officials, or the officers of the people. Full stop. Moses was dead. Yet 40 years after the the great deliverance from Egypt, they're still not in the Canaan land. Must have been a time of sadness. For some, they must have felt, it's over, it's washed up. All these promises are not going to happen. 
The man who was set to lead us is no longer. He's head and shoulders above everyone else. Who will do it? My dreams are beginning to evaporate. Can that be some of us? Some of our hopes somehow in, in, in the cauldron of life are beginning to evaporate. And the first words God said to Joshua, understand now Moses, my servant, is dead, but my purposes aren't. Maybe those you thought were going to be going to help you achieve something are no longer. They're not around with you. They're not standing with you. Life has changed. Maybe the one that you were looking to is no longer. But God is still there. God is with you. He says, now, this is my paraphrase, now stand up, Joshua. You've had your moment of grief. Wipe your eyes. You get ready to cross the Jordan. No one can stand against you, Joshua. Why? Without Moses? Because he's not without God. And you're not without God in the circumstance you face. As I was with Moses, I am with you. I will not leave you. It is God whom you depend upon. Can I say that lovingly? As much as you've got church and you've got everything around you, that can all be stripped away. God come. God will never, ever, ever leave you. It is God in whom you depend. You may look around and you think, there's no one to help me. Not true. God is there. Life seems leaderless. It seems pointless. Joshua went with Caleb into the promised land. He was two of the twelve spies. And they all saw the giants. They all saw the fortified cities. He knew what was being asked of him without Moses. God's saying, do not look back, do not go back. Possess your Canaan. Possess it with God. And Joshua went on to possess God's Canaan. From being a sense of feeling abandoned, he possessed the land. He had huge battles like Jericho. He learned huge lessons like AI. But he did it, he did it, and the land was then divided and the twelve tribes of Israel took possession both east and west of Jordan. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it with God. And then lastly and briefly, I just want us to consider Isaiah, a little known prophet. 
at the time. And Uzziah, a mighty king, they were contemporaries. They lived at the same time. In a sense, there's a good reason to think they were buddies in some way. But this great, 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 great king and this prophet who has yet to, to come onto the scene. We read of King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. Don't turn there. But he was a young king. When, he was young when he became king. He was only 16 years old. He was a boy king. He reigned for 52 years. And it's saying of him, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Hallelujah. He sought the Lord. He feared the Lord. He was victorious in battle. He built settlements. He built up Jerusalem and fortified it. He amassed a strong army and overcame all their enemies. He was powerful. And yet towards the end, pride entered his life. From this position of power and authority, like so many, pride entered their life and began his fall. What he did was burn incense in the temple. That was a priestly function. That was not what he was called to do. God said, don't do it. He did it because he was arrogant. His power thought he could do whatever he chose to do. Because he'd known God's blessing. He offended God and as a consequence he broke out in leprosy. This great king was now a leper and would have to be put outside of the city. And he died as a leper. He died as a leper. What was Isaiah to make of this? What was Isaiah to understand that when he, 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 he thinks of, of, of Judah? As he thinks of this, everything that, w- that was a possible. And now this king had not only lost favour with God, but he was dead. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah in just a few verses. In chapter 6. It starts, In the year King Uzziah died, In the year of this calamity, in the year when everything was imploding upon this nation, in the year when maybe Isaiah's hopes were shipwrecked, in the year when this once great man had fallen, 
It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That moment, Isaiah was thinking the opposite of this, that the earth is not filled with glory, it is filled with defeat. It's filled with lost dreams. It's filled with a, oh, what if? If only he hadn't done that. If only I'd gone to him and told him something before. And yet God parts the curtains of heaven and says the whole earth is filled with my glory at the sound of their voices the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke woe to me I cried I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips true and my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken from, with, with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for, for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Has God changed? Has from the jaws of defeat, has defeat come? There's some of those lovely songs that we were singing about God being an awesome God, that our hope is in Him. In the very year that King Uzziah, Uzziah died with with now the, the enemies of, of Israel baying around now that the strong king was dead, wanting to exact vengeance on those that had been defeated. And it seemed that they'd be overrun, with hopes crushed. I don't know if Isaiah had been praying for healing for, for Uzziah, praying that the leprosy would leave his body, and it didn't. The words of Satan whispering in his ear, failure. He saw the Lord seated on a throne. His king had died, but he met with another king. Hallelujah. You meet with another king. You meet with the king of kings and the Lord of lords who cannot fail. And he became one of the greatest prophets that Israel had ever known. In difficult circumstances, Jacob, Joshua and Isaiah met with God. And God used them. What are you going to say about the circumstances in which you find yourself? Are you going to throw in the towel? 
Are you going to become less dependent upon God? Or more dependent upon God? Are these going to be the greatest years of your life? Or are you going to live in reflection? The choice is ours, isn't it? Can God use you? Before he could use them, he had to change them. They had to go through the wine press. They had to go between a rock and a hard place. Do you know what wine press does? It ain't a comfortable place to be in a wine press. Because what happens in a wine press in olden days they would they would tread wine, wouldn't they? They'd tread the grapes. And it would be in a sort of a, a hollow with a little um, um, little gully where the, the wine would run out and be caught. Do you know what the prime wine press was there for? It was to get rid of the flesh of the grape. These circumstances were to get rid of the flesh of man. That the pure, the pure, pure wine of the spirit may flow. Could that be why you're where you are in life? God wants to deal with the flesh your flesh, my flesh that the wine of his spirit will flow and flow and flow see with God your crisis become become your stepping stone you may feel you're in quicksand but you're not because he's got you by your right hand you're not in free fall. You're not in free fall. Say that aloud. I am not in free fall. Say it. I am not in free fall. God has my right hand. God has my right hand. I remember a time in my life when I was low, I was a pastor and uh, I was feeling a bit of a, um, I don't know, I don't know about failure. Maybe failure is um, too strong a word, but I was, I was feeling total in, inadequate. And I haven't got the time because it takes too long, and I've shared it before maybe to some of you. God, in an amazing way, came to me through a little text that a beat was a hundred years old and had been thrown away and somehow it had been brought to me and it was a little Sunday school text of Hosea 13.9 and it said in me is thine strength and everything changed but nothing changed but everything changed because in him is your strength may God bless you May God bless you. May we receive of his Holy Spirit to live lives to the honour and praise and glory of his name. Let him lift you up. May you see him this morning high and lifted up. 
and may his train fill not the, the, the temple of God but the temple of your lives which is the temple of God shall we pray Father Lord we thank you we bless you and praise you Lord you are an awesome God You are a wonderful God, the splendor of the King, the splendor of our God. Father, would you open our eyes that we may see you? Unclog our ears from the clamor of so many noises that we may hear your still small voice. May we know your hand upon our life, directing and guiding and comforting, empowering us that in the very circumstances that threaten us, we would become more than conquerors. For the glory of your name, we say, come Holy Spirit and fill us. Fill us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing, shall we? Let's worship and praise God with just two... Last songs, I stand amazed in the presence. And uh, just to remind us, if we've, we've, we've forgotten, we end with our God is an awesome God. Yeah?